It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. And good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleas, and thank you so much for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. And, Governor, I know that you have a statement that you'd like to start out with this afternoon. Well, thank you, Maria. It's always great to be with you, and thank you very much. Uh, Just on my mind, and I think maybe the minds of some of your listeners out there, as we offer condolences on the passing of Sam Granado, I met Sam when I became lieutenant governor in 2004, uh, 2005, and a wonderful man, kind to everybody. Um, He was truly somebody who worked in a bipartisan, maybe a nonpartisan way with people. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a lot of friends. I I was impressed with his business acumen, great entrepreneur, uh, his involvement uh, that he had with... uh, in the private sector and his food distribution. We used to go and eat at his deli all the time and get some good sandwiches. But just as impressive, if not more so, was his public service. He was looking for opportunities to serve the public and make people's lives better and and put his, you know, uh, hat in the arena and ran for office and uh, elected, defeated, but showed grace and defeat. But um, he's going to leave, uh, you know, a whole in our community that um, should be recognized. And we certainly want to wish his family well, and uh, we'll all miss him. And he was just a great example to all of us. Yes, we certainly all do. And thank you for that, Governor. We have uh, entered a very busy political time with the, re- the conventions underway, just had the Republican convention. And first of all, give us, give us your thoughts on what transpired this past weekend. Well, first, let me say, you know, it's election season, and I applaud all of those from whatever party, whatever f- persuasion, uh, that are motivated to throw their hat in the ring and say to the public, choose me. That's not something that doesn't take a little bit of courage, a mm-hmm. little bit of gumption. Having done it a few times myself, I understand that aspect of it. But I'm glad that in Utah we have a lot of good people, men and women, that say, choose me. Uh, and I think uh, you know, whether the convention process, we can talk about that and uh, – uh, you know, people uh, should, in fact, avail themselves of every opportunity to learn about the candidates, about their positions, what they will do if elected, um, the issues of the day, and then show up and vote. Uh, the thing that probably is the most disappointing to me of all the things regarding elections in Utah is that we're doing so very well on so many different fronts uh, and, you know, top two, three of about everything out there you can measure uh, in a positive way. But when it comes to voter turnout and participation in the election process, we don't show up, and we should show up. Mm-hmm. And so I applaud those who've stood up and say are running for office. Now we need to have the public, the electorate, stand up, pay attention, learn about the issues, and then vote. We have uh, a primary coming up for many elections, uh, the fourth Tuesday in June. I think November the 6th is the general election. 
again, let's let's encourage each other to be informed and then show up and vote. Governor, why do you think that's something that we struggle with? Uh, why do, do so few people really participate in the system? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with good news that we're content. We think things are going well, and they are. And so uh, we're not as motivated to go out there and, and, and participate. Uh, I think anger motivates people. We tend to get a lot more agitated and, and participatory when we're angry. And so uh, I think some of that is just the lack of uh, more apathy and because, hey, things are going good. What me worry and, and uh, don't participate. Um, and we need to just make it part of our culture, you know, you as a minimal responsibility of being a taxpayer, of being a citizen of this great country, being a resident of the state of Utah, you just vote. We've made it very easy with most of our opportunities now to vote by mail, which gives, means you have opportunity to look at the ballot, know what's on the ballot, who's running, what the issues are, and spend some time in research. There's no reason why every voter cannot be informed about the issues of the candidates and make an informed decision on how they're going to, in fact, cast their ballot. A vote by mail has been, I think, a great uh, ease to, to vote. Some like it, some don't. But I think overall it's really been a net positive for participation and having a chance to learn in advance. Uh, no more do you have to, oh, gee, today's election day. Oh, what if I've got it carved out? Can I get away from work? And How do I get right. down there? And who, Who's on the ballot? Who's running? And I, I better call somebody you know, or flip a coin. So those days are gone, and that's good. But we still need to get more participation. So let's encourage all the listeners out there to you go vote, get your neighbors to go vote, your family to go vote, and we can increase our percentage of turnout. Well, let's help them out with a little bit of research here. We have a number of initiatives that uh, may probably make it to the ballot. I know they're still checking the signatures on some of these. Um, But let's talk about a couple of them. How do you feel about the medical marijuana initiative? Well, I've already made uh, mention of the fact that I think the initiative is is, uh, defective. Uh, I support you know, medicinal use of marijuana. But there's a process to make sure we understand, you know, what should take place. And and, uh, and as a medicine, it ought to be backed up by science. So we know what it uh, does and what it, uh, how it helps and how it works, how it interacts with our physiology and with other medicines. And the doctors ought to be able to know that so that they can prescribe it. We can't do that right now. And that's, I think, unfortunate. We ought to have a, a controlled substance prescribed by doctors, distributed by pharmacists, a medicine that's been approved appropriately by the FDA. What I really find uh, disappointing is we've wasted a many, many years on this issue. The past administration, uh, they've been very willing to turn a blind eye to the federal law. And that ought to be a concern for all of us. We, we have laws on the books. We either believe in the rule of law or don't and the federal law that makes it illegal. If that's a bad law, then we ought to change the law. We ought to take it off the Schedule One list so we can do the research necessary to find out the truth, separate the fact from the fiction. Um, and uh, we've wasted at least the past eight years, and let's not waste the next you know, four, eight years. Let's, let's come together and get the research done so doctors know what's taking place. I, I, I do note here, in fact, I've got a copy here that I just pulled out of the Deseret News today. It talks about the U, uh, University of Utah getting a $740,000 grant for cannabis research. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting quote from Dr. Jeffrey Anderson, who's an associate professor of radiology and uh, kind of one of those uh, involved in this investigation research, which we've asked to do. And we, the state legislature has put money into this research also. 
So they're getting money. We're going to do something here in Utah with or without the rest of the country. But he says this quote, it's surprising how much is unknown about basic neuroscience and how cannabis affects the brain. That's a sad commentary where we actually have proponents out there saying this is good. It will help your health. It will alleviate pain and suffering, which we all ought to support. Let's do the research that's necessary to get it to a point where we can have trust and confidence, where doctors can, in fact, prescribe the medicine. The initiative doesn't do that. In fact, it opens up the opportunity for people to grow their own plants. Uh, We don't have the ability to prosecute. Doctors are immune. They can't prescribe it. They can't recommend, but they are given immunity for any kind of civil liability. Uh, any kind of negligence in their recommendations and what the outcomes. People can take a truckload of of marijuana and truck it to whatever for whatever purpose, and they cannot be arrested. And uh, so we've got some issues with the the initiative that I think need to be ferreted out. But if we're going to do this, let's do it right, and let's get to the right place where we can actually have some confidence in the outcome of the use of medical marijuana. How about Medicaid expansion and the ballot initiative that deals with that, Governor? You know, Medicaid expansion, we've uh, talked about that many times. Uh, I had a proposal as an alternative to full-blown Medicaid expansion as designed under the Affordable Care Act. It utilized our money, the monies that we were being taxed for under the Affordable Care Act, and gave us more flexibility as a state and empowered the private sector rather than government to provide the services. The thing that's disappointing to me is we're not doing anything about addressing the high and rising cost of health care. All we talk about with the Affordable Care Act is who's going to pay for it. And costs continue to rise and becomes more and more expensive. Uh, and, and it's really, I think, a, a fiscal issue in many ways is uh, how can we buy something today that we cannot afford tomorrow? And what are we doing? And that's the concern the legislature has is that if we do this and we have a requirement to balance our budget, we're not like the federal government, then how, in fact, can we be fiscally responsible going forward? And more and more states are becoming less and less fiscally prudent. We're we're one of only nine states today that have a AAA bond rating from Wall Street. That's a sad commentary on the country and the rest of the states. So um, I think this alternative we've come up with here in past this session, it requires waivers. It will allow people to be insured up to 100% of poverty uh, through the state and through our opportunities to produce a program. Those over 100% of poverty can then join the federal program, uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, and then that's the responsibility of the federal government, not the state, but access to health care now goes from zero to 138%. So I think it's a good compromise for what we have now. If I was king for a day, I would do two things. One, Congress, tell us how much money you're going to spend. You need to determine how much that is. Is it going to be X amount of dollars? Is it going to increase by 2% or 3% every year to adjust for inflation? Whatever it is, what's the formula? Every state should then get their proportionate amount of money. No state should be advantaged over another state. No state should be disadvantaged. But each state, based on their culture, their politics, their uh, 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 personnel, the demographics, uh, should then be able to, in fact, administer the health care. And what will happen over time will homogenize, will be very similar in all the states, but we'll respect the differences. And we'll get away from this failing program in Washington, D.C., of everything has to be a one-size-fits-all. It doesn't fit all. 
And uh, these 50 laboratories of democracy have unique ways to innovate, create new options, and probably find better outcomes for less money, uh, less utilization of the taxpayer. And that would be a win-win-win for everybody. Take a minute, Governor. Talk about the Count My Vote initiative and the impacts of that. Give us your reaction to what's been happening with that. Well, we talk about Count My Vote and Senate Bill 54. Uh, Everybody should know and understand that Senate Bill 54, which is now the law, that's on the books, that's part of our code, that's part of our statutes, uh, was put there as a compromise with the Count My Vote folks in order to preserve and protect the caucus convention system in some form or fashion. And really, uh, uh, people forget the fact that uh, we were going to lose the caucus convention system because the the polls showed overwhelming support to just go to a general primary system. So the legislature, I think, in their wisdom and others that took the lead on this said, hey, there's probably a better way. Let's see if we can find a compromise. And the dual pathway was one that everybody agreed to was a, a better alternative than not having anything at all. And so we put that in place. Little did anybody know. We're going to have this division in the Republican Party in particular and this kind of civil war uh, that's erupted and just can't seem to be reconciled. And I understand those who really uh, zealously want to protect the party from their viewpoint of being able to determine their own outcome and their own process needs to be played out in court. And to the very last inning of uh, in the appellate courts that they need to go through. And once that's done, then at least the courts will tell us what the law is. We have different opinions out there, but uh, so far the courts have said that Senate Bill 54, the dual pathway, is in fact constitutional and is the law of the land. And I think most of the people of Utah like that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But let that play out. Then the party needs to kind of come back and say, look, our job is to make sure we hear from all the people. We don't want to feel like that there are 720,000 registered Republicans in Utah that the vast majority more feeling a little bit disenfranchised. Like, does anybody care about us? You know, are they listening to us? Do the delegates really represent us there? Is it more of a strident? Are they are our delegates more of a libertarian element where they uh, infiltrate into the party? They can't win as a libertarian, and so they run as a uh, ultra conservative Republican. There's a lot of those issues out there that are floating around, and I think over time we can resolve those issues. But uh, it probably won't happen until this litigation ends up and stops, and then we'll see if we can't heal the body and come back together. And I speak spe- uh, specifically of the Republican Party. I don't think there's that element in the Democrat Party and other parties, but uh, the the party that seems to be making the headlines is the Republican Party and some of the contentiousness in our convention of past Saturday and, and some of the issues that happened with the Central Committee. Okay. We are starting to get some calls. The number to call if you'd like to ask your question, 801-575-8255, or you can text your question to 57500. We'll be right back with your calls on Let Me Speak to the Governor. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I am Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert, and thanks for joining us this afternoon. And we want to take your calls. The number to call, 575-8255, or you can text your questions to 57500. And, Governor, we have a call from Al right now in... uh, Let's see, in Provo. Hi, Al. How can we help you today? 
Well, good afternoon, Maria, and hello, Governor. Hi, Al. How are you? I'm doing as well as I can and everything. I'm counting my blessings. Anyhow, you already addressed my topic briefly a little bit earlier, but I'd kind of like to rephrase it. I just want to get your opinion. Do you think that uh, Mitt Romney's uh, failing to outright secure the nomination for U.S. Senate, and I like Mitt, but uh, the outright uh, non- ability to uh, clinch it, uh, do you think that uh, shows any kind of cracks in the system or doubts among voters long term? Well, I don't know. We've we've seen the ups and downs uh, where the delegates align up better with the general Republican population some years better than they do other years. And that's probably based on kind of the energy out there and who runs for delegate spots. We've had candidates in the past that have spent millions of dollars in trying to stack delegates so that the delegates are more in, in line with that particular candidate. I, I don't think that's how the system is supposed to work. Uh, the ideal under the concept was that people would be elected by their neighbors to go there and represent the neighbors' views and their philosophy, which could be different. It might be different and bountiful than is in Provo. But the intent was to represent your neighbor's views. Now we have people saying, well, I'm just going to represent my view, which might be more narrow than the neighborhoods, but I'm the delegate and I'm going to just represent me. Or I'm there on assignment uh, to represent a specific candidate. So it varies back and forth. I, as I mentioned earlier, I think the concern is that we have 728,000 registered Republicans and we have, you know, uh, we've had 3,600 delegates that showed up to the convention last Saturday. And do they represent, you know, appropriately those other 700,000 uh, Republicans out there? I, I think we've tended to get away a little bit, Al, from the Ronald Reagan approach, which I think was the right and correct approach, certainly as a, for a, a Republican Party. And that is, one, uh, we ought to ha- have a big tent. You know, everybody doesn't have to be a clone of each other, and there ought to be uh, room. So the big tent theory, and he would say, if you agree with me 80% of the time, you're my friend. And we have now people, if you don't agree with them, 99 out of 100 at least, they'll give you a pass on one. But if it's two, then throw the bum out. So I think that uh, counsel from Ronald Reagan we ought to go back and take a look at and 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 uh, embrace. And then he said the 11th commandment was thou shalt not speak evil of thy fellow Republican. Uh, we've gotten away from the civility and the mutual respect and shared responsibility that we've had in times past. And that's the thing that bothers me more than anything else. And we need to get back to following uh, the counsel of Ronald Reagan. One, I think it'll give us better outcomes. We can concentrate on, I'm speaking now as a Republican, to get the Republican officials that share the party platform and and, um, and get them elected. So, uh, you know, we, we have uh, Mitt Romney, who I'd supported and encouraged to run. I think he brings a lot to the table as a, as a person who understands the issues not only nationally but internationally. Uh, somebody who certainly embraces Utah. He's had a home here for, I don't know, 20-some-odd years. It's not always been his permanent uh, resident, but still he's uh, certainly a very like us and and similar to us and really is one of us now. And uh, I think he'll be able to get into, um, you know, leadership and brings a lot more cachet than a typical freshman senator. That being said, I know that Mike Kennedy is a very capable guy, too. And and I've worked with him in the legislature, a smart fellow, and he'll bring a lot to the dialogue. And I expect the people of Utah will weigh and consider and decide what's in the best interest of the people of Utah and America. And... um, 
So it'll be an, an interesting uh, debate and dialogue, and uh, I, I think we need to become a little more efficient in how we do things at the convention. Very good. Well, All right. You, Governor. Al, thanks for your call today. Governor, one of our texters is uh, asking why they say that um, you stated your disapproval of the UTA name change bill among with the funds of approximately $50 million to accomplish that goal, yet you signed the bill and they are wondering why. Well, the bill doesn't talk about, you know, having to do a rebranding of $50 million. It talks about the change of governance, which was supported by the existing UTA board. Now, it's like a lot of things in life, we don't communicate maybe as effectively as we should, and so there's a lack of understanding. Um, the uh, legislature were pretty adamant about wanting to change to, uh, the uh, governance structure of UTA, thinking that would help with some of the confidence of the public. And clearly there's been some bad publicity, some bad public relations with UTA. And so the idea of changing the governance and getting past some of the internal turmoils that we've seen over the last, you know, 10 years is the motivation there. I've argued that the people who actually use the UTA, uh, the buses, uh, the uh, rail uh, tracks, front runner, those people actually use the services, like what they're getting, and, and appreciate the service. It has a very significant net positive approval rating. Uh, the problems with the internal struggles where people have lacked confidence. So, okay, let's change the governance. Let's see if we can get a better outcome. Because what will Im- impress the public is if they have the trains that run on time. They have access to bus rapid transit, bus service, the front uh, runner, etc. The service that they have is what's going to be the basis for the judgment, not the name, not what it's called. And so I'm just saying, okay, let's change the the governance. That's okay. Uh, but let's not spend any money on rebranding. It's a monopoly. Nobody's going to be fooled by saying, oh, my gosh, you know, we used to have a, a tracks line here called the UTA, and now it's the DPU. And uh, it's so much better now because of the name change. That just isn't going to happen. I think that's not sensible. So let's save the money. Let's change the governance. Let's do what we need to do. But there's no obligation under the bill to spend one dime on a name change. The number to call, 801-575-8255 with your questions, or you can text us at 57500. We're going to break for our bottom of the hour of the news, and we'll be right back on Let Me Speak to the Governor. Reach out to Governor Herbert. Text 57500 or call him at 801-575-8255. It's Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us this afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Governor Gary Herbert, and we're going to take a call now from John in Ogden. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. I just got a question about why it takes a ballot initiative with a a 70% approval rating to make a law. Um, I don't know why the legislators or why we've drug our feet so much on the medical marijuana when it has such a high approval rating. Um, my, and if it doesn't pass, are you, is the governor prepared for an interstate commerce problem when we have legalized marijuana in the surrounding states? And what if, let's say, a $30 million shipment comes through from state to state and we intercept that as Utah, it's illegal. Uh, are, is he prepared to litigate that case that he's able to seize that property from business to business? And does he agree with the scheduling one? Because medical marijuana 
directly contradicts the scheduling of that drug. Um, and I just want to know what he thinks about that. That's right, John. You, you bring up some good points. I've already mentioned earlier on uh, the Schedule 1 thing bothers everybody. Uh, and if we really believe there's benefit from the use of marijuana for medicinal purposes, let's, in fact, do the research and the study. And that makes it it's become very difficult to do that, even the University of Utah, which we're doing right now, by the way. Uh, and the legislature's put money up to do that, and some private monies have come up to do it. But it's hard to get the the product, uh, to get some good quality marijuana and actually to do the research, partly because of the Schedule 1. It ought to be taken off Schedule 1. That's I think everybody agrees with that. Um, it is a little bit hypocritical, particularly for the last administration where we've wasted eight years. Uh, we ought to direct our anger at Washington, D.C., uh, where they say, yeah, we have a law here on the books, but we'll be happy to just ignore it. We ought to change the law so it doesn't put us elected officials who have sworn to uphold the Constitution and the laws of the land in this uh, catch-22 uh, so that's where it ought to happen. Our legislature, by the way, has uh, legalized uh, the use of cannabinoid oil for seizures. Uh, we have Marinthal, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, Marinol, which is a product that's been uh, gone through the FDA process and approved uh, use of uh, CDB oil without the THC in it, the hallucinogenic. So that's already in the marketplace now today. So we're doing some things, and we want to do some more things, but we've got to get the federal law out of the way and come together and say, let's have some honest-to-goodness research to separate fact from from fiction. So whatever the medicinal benefit is, we know. Uh, Again, I'll refer you to an article in the Deseret News called The University of Utah Gets 740000 Grant for Cannabis Research. And listen to what they have to say about the lack of information, lack of knowledge. It's, it ought to give us all pause that the, the biggest users across the country, based on the data that use it for recreation or for medicinal purposes, is 18 to 25-year-olds. I don't think 18 to 25-year-olds are probably the most chronically ill group. Uh, cohort of our population, but yet they're the ones that are using it. So maybe there's more recreational use. What does it do to the young growing brain? Uh, those are questions we ought to have answered. We do it with other medicine. Why not do it with, with medical marijuana? What are we afraid of? All sides should come together and say, we demand to have research so we know what the um, the reaction of the physiology to medical marijuana is so we can have a doctor prescribe it. Governor, we have Jeff next on the line from Salt Lake. Hi, Jeff. What's your question for the governor? Hi. Thanks for uh, taking calls from average citizens. Thank you, Jeff. Um, and I appreciate you appointing John Valentine as chair of the Utah Tax Commission. Not only does he seem knowledgeable about taxation, but he actually seems to care about the people of Utah. Uh, I listened to an audio of him addressing the legislature legislators heads of the house and senate and the executive appropriations committee on january 25th warning them that if they did not do anything to restore the personal exemptions to individual taxes individual tax returns that it would result in in an 80 million dollar revenue gain to the state of utah and uh hundreds and in some cases over $1,000 a year, <clears throat> excuse me, of increased taxes on Utah families and individuals. And I listened to Senator Niederhauser, the president of the Senate, 
say, now this is clear, if we do nothing, we raise $80 million, but we could institute a child credit or we could tweak our taxpayer tax credit in another way to restore personal exemptions. And I heard Chairman Valentine say, yes, we recommend that you modify the taxpayer tax credit for individual returns so that to lessen the blow on these taxpayers, on these families. But I'm very disheartened that not only did the House and Senate choose not to help families, but that they chose in House Bill 293 to lower the income tax rate for corporations and individuals, which cost the education fund $53 million. So in essence, for me personally, they're going to take $800 out of my pocket. I'm a father of three in Sandy. $800 out of my pocket every April 15th for the next so many years and give that money to either a wealthy individual or a corporation. And my wife's a delegate, uh, Republican delegate, and so she went with me to the uh, Salt Lake County Convention. We met with our senator. Senator Niederhauser is our senator in Senate District 9. And we asked him, why would you take $800 from me, $1,000 from my neighbor, $1,200 from another neighbor, especially families with children with disabilities who lose not only the personal exemption for their child, but the extra personal exemption for children with disabilities? They get a double whammy. Why would you increase taxes on those families and take that money and then not giving it to schools? Give it to wealthy individuals or corporations. And I was blown away by his answer. He was angry at my question. He stepped toward my wife and I and said, you'll be better off. And I said, how will I be better off if I lose $800 every April 15th? And he said, the corporations and wealthy individuals will stimulate the economy and bring better jobs. Jeff, let's give the governor a chance to respond. Jeff, uh, thank you again. Uh, You've articulated the issue very well, and it certainly is complex. Uh, I know John Valentine extremely well. He's a tax attorney. Uh, was in his private life. He served in the legislature. He understands the complexity of tax policy. And it's like whack-a-mole. You do something on one side and something pops up another place. We're having to react to the federal law. And and we're a little unclear about what all the ramifications that are going to be. Uh, we have t- cut taxes here in Utah in times past. We did some major tax revision in 2006. And that's helped us, in fact, have a very healthy economy. So what President Niederhauser says in, in the kind of the global nature of it is that if we have a more business-friendly environment, our economy will grow and expand and we'll produce more revenue in that economy. But there are some people who, you know, maybe will not benefit. Uh, there are winners and there are losers. You hope that there are more winners. When we did a tax cut in 2006, 97% of all the people of Utah got a tax cut, but 3% didn't. And so overall, you say, well, is it good and better tax policy, which will help to have a healthy economy? That was the decision made, and it proved to be truthful. 
That being said, uh, we uh, part of the compromise, again, this is not done in a vacuum. It's also the compromise with the Our Schools Now people and say we want to, in fact, produce more revenue for education. And there's multiple ways of doing it. And how can we get the right tax policy and yet adjust for this $80 million you've talked about? That was why there was going to be a, a, a 0.05 reduction in the income tax policy to kind of offset that $80 million. The final chapter this hasn't been written yet, though. We'll see what happens here this year. I expect we'll have talk about tax reform again next year in the legislative session to see if we can, in fact, find a better outcome, a better result on tax policy to address just what you've talked about. We certainly have done with the federal government giving more tax exemptions for those that have children. That should be a benefit for most families, but maybe not for everyone, but for most families. So tax policy you know, the only fair, absolutely fair tax policy would be if everybody was paid, pick a number, 15%, 18% of your uh, income, and everybody paid it across the board. We don't believe in that necessarily as a country. We have a more progressive system, so those that pay more, get more, or uh, make more, pay more. When you give a tax cut, they tend to be the beneficiaries of because they're paying more now. And, uh, you know, the idea that we have nearly half of the people paying income tax and nearly half the people who don't pay income tax pay other taxes, that's part of the debate always on what is the right tax policy that produces the best outcome. And, and we can debate it long and hard. That'll happen. I've asked for tax reform. I've asked for closing of loopholes. I've asked us to have accountability on the tax exemptions that are out there, particularly for corporations and business. If they're not working, then they ought to be repealed. I think you'll find continued discussion in the upcoming legislative session to address exactly what you've talked about here to see if we can't find absolute fairness, if that's even possible, in our tax system. Governor, our next question comes from a texter who is frustrated by legislation that seems to pop up on the last day of the legislative session. They would like you to address that. Yeah, I don't know exactly what they're talking about the last day of the session. It probably does happen over history where we've had something that kind of pops up. The only thing I know of that kind of popped up uh, was the Our Schools Now compromise uh, from their initiative out there. But that didn't just pop up. Uh, That was discussed even before the legislative session uh, took place. The Our Schools Now people said we'd like to have the legislature act on this. It was about tax policy. It was about how can we put more revenue into education. And uh, with our healthy economy, we've been able to do that, by the way, each and every year. That's been a benefit of a growing, expanding economy that we've been able to take uh, most of that money, 75% of all the new money that comes in because of the growing, healthy, the most diverse, healthy economy in America today goes into education. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I think the the idea of this compromise, which they worked uh, talked about before, they won't have the legislature do it. They couldn't come together. But over the 45-day session, they finally come together on the compromise, and that's why they've pulled their initiative. It's designed, in fact, to have a good, healthy tax policy that allows the economy to continue to grow and not uh, stifle it and also put more money into education over the, uh, the next uh, decade. And by the way, we put record amounts of money into education this, this year. It's the most money we've ever put into education in our state's history.
We do have a number of callers waiting. We need to take a break. A number of text questions as well. You can still text us your question at 57500. We're going to try and squeeze in as many callers as we get. 801-575-8255, the number to call. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Let Me Speak to the Governor. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor, this program goes by so quickly. We have about eight minutes left in the program, and let's try to get in as many of these questions as we possibly can. Short questions, and I'll give short answers. All righty. We have Mont calling from Bluffdale. Mont, what is your question? My question is dealing with one of those bills at the end of the legislature that popped up about uh, the state owns the ground underneath Utah Lake. Well, it sounds like the state chose to turn that ground underneath there to build Fantasy Island. Well, I understand the issue out there, and I'm a little jaundiced about their ability to create anything out there. What the legislature decided to do, and it wasn't, this is something that's been talked about for a number of months, is to give you an opportunity. Okay, if you can bring a billion dollars, if you've got some opportunities to do that and improve the situation out there and the local communities in favor of it, we'll give you a right to try. Whether they do it or not, we'll ultimately, they've got to go through all the permitting process, environmental concerns. We'll wait and see if they can produce. Okay, Suzanne is next in Smithville. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Governor. Hey, Suzanne. Um, I have a question for you regarding SB 54. Um, When I turned on the program, you were just giving the end of an answer, so I didn't hear the question. But um, I was also at the state convention and saw the conflict and what was going on. I just am wanting clarification. Prior to SB 54, when we had just the caucus system, was there not also a signature route to get on the ballot? different than the signature route that comes with SB 54? Well, I think you could get enough signatures to run an affiliated. So there was, a, I guess, a signature plan. This is designed to allow people in a partisan, you know, uh, way to say there's an alternative to just going through the convention. And that was the compromise. It came about because there was opportunities to have a compromise was presented when Thomas Wright was the chairman of the party to re- to lay- raise the sh- threshold to 70 percent. Uh, and then they offered a 66 percent. That was all turned down by the Central Committee and said that we don't want to go above 60 percent. The Count My Vote people saying we need to have more primaries and more opportunities for people to weigh in on it. That was their motivation. So they went. the compromise went by the wayside. The legislature could see that it was going to pass and just have a general election and, and uh, no caucus convention system, hence the birth of Senate Bill 54, which is now the statute that gives you a dual pathway for partisan uh, nomination of the uh, to become a uh, to run in the primary on a partisan way. Governor, the next question coming from a texter. They said that they tried to do a technology transfer to the state and they were unable to find a good way to do that or make it happen because the product uh, would have ended up being circumvented by universities. And they are wondering what could the government do to make that better and to change that process? Boy, I don't know enough about the problem there. If they want to contact my constituent services office at 538 1000, area code 801. Five three eight one thousand, 
Uh, we get a number of calls, by the way, for others that don't get in today. We're more than happy to try to answer questions through our constituent services. If they'll send me uh, the information, I'll look into it, and we'll have somebody respond back to them and see if there's a better way. We certainly want to be innovative. We have been listed as the most best-managed state in America, and part of that's because we've embraced technology and better ways, not just the same old, same old, but uh, uh, better processes to get better outcomes uh, for the taxpayer. You mentioned earlier in the show funding for education and how well we did for teachers, but one of the texters asking, uh, they're seeing all these strikes across the country by teachers, and do you think that's going to happen here in the state of Utah? I don't think so. I think that what we're doing here, we're putting record amounts of money in some of our school boards, which really control how the money is being spent. They're elected by the people and the 41 different school districts, the different regions of our state that have unique and different circumstances. But some of our districts are saying, we're going to start paying our teachers more. We've got more money now, and that's the priority. Some want to have smaller classrooms. Some want to add more technology. But we have some now school districts that are going to start people's salaries after a you know first year to second year teacher at forty thousand dollars so we're starting to get better salary increases which i think is great we need to spend spend enough money to re- recruit and to retain the best and brightest teachers we can roger is next in pleasant grove roger what's your question good afternoon governor howdy 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 hey uh I have a really quick question about the uh, vote-by-mail that was in Utah County last year. Uh, the uh, For some reason, the people at the county level decided to do away with it for this up, starting this upcoming election. I'd like to get your input on it and if you think it was a good idea. Uh, vote-by-mail has been an exceptionally good idea. It's allowed people to... Uh, uh, kind of weigh and consider who's on the ballot and what the issues are and learn about them on their own and pay attention. So it's been a good thing. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, a, it's dissuaded people from having the midnight, you know, negative campaigning, you know, the weekend before the Tuesday because people start voting a little earlier now, and so you can't do that as well. Um, I think that Utah County had said they were going to do away with vote by mail, but I think they've brought it back. They had some glitches in the system and some problems here last election cycle. But vote by mail is a great addition to our traditional ability to get people to cast their vote and vote on issues and people. Governor, it's a good thing that this show happens once a month and you come in to answer people's questions because <laughs> there is no way we'll get to probably the 20 questions that we have remaining here. You did mention that people could call your constituent services yeah. if they have questions. 801-538-1000. We get... Uh, you know, a lot today, it kind of ebbs and flows with the issues of the day. But if you have a question, we would try to answer it for you and put you in touch with people that can help resolve the issue if you have one. But we invite the constituents' uh, questions. So we want to be open, transparent, and have a good dialogue. I want to take this last minute and talk about the Utah Jazz because such a fun, exciting time. What do you think? <laughs> Go Jazz. Listen, Friday night uh, is going to be a big night. Uh, we've got great players, great talent. I'll tell you the two things we ought to appreciate. One mm-hmm. is Quinn Snyder, uh, Coach of the Year, for sure, how he's brought the people together and, and, and made a contender out of a team that we probably wondered if they were going to even make it to the playoffs, and now nobody wants to play them. That's how tough they are. And the front uh, uh, you know, office of the Jazz, uh, Gail Miller and her people, think of what they've done to bring in people to replace Gordon Hayward. Uh, they're drafting, they're moving, they're trading. What they've done to assemble these, this uh, team is exceptional. 
So most valuable player to uh, Quinn Snyder as the coach and to the Miller front office for how they've been able to bring players in. All right, Governor, thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you next month. And thanks for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor.